this, so uh, I, if I stop and cough and blow my nose, just please forgive me. I know it's attractive and it's the thing you will most want to hear this morning, uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll get through it. Romans chapter 1, we're in verses 8 through 15. Romans chapter 1, 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may re reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We have now entered into the time of year where we begin to think about uh, Thanksgiving. We begin to think about those things that we are thankful for. I'm sure in just a few minutes you'll be thankful that I'm finished so that you can be thankful for the food that has been, been prepared. Amen. And hopefully we'll be thankful for the hands that have prepared that food. Uh, we are thankful for friends. We are thankful for family. We are thankful for places to live. We are thankful for food that we eat. And Paul comes here and he's thankful. He's thankful for the gospel. In essence, Paul could come and say, if he were to expound on what he's saying here, I, Paul, am thankful that I have been purchased out of debt into life, out of death into life. I am thankful that Jesus has reconciled me to my God. I am thankful that he has given me new friends, that he's given me new family, that I've been given a new bread to eat, a new wine to drink. The church, thank you, has always had much to be thankful for. And this is what Paul is showing us today. The only response, the only right and proper response to being confronted with the realities of the gospel is thanksgiving and prayer. And Paul does this very thing. We're moving forward in his letter. Last week we looked at the greetings. And it was common in Greek literature, or Greek letters I should say, after a time of greetings to move to a time of thanksgiving and, and even prayer. In the larger context, a Greek individual would have added a petition to their many gods. Paul adapts this for his purposes. He gives thanks to God and he offers prayers for his readers. 
And we see his prayers and his thankfulness come in many form. He thanks God for their faith. He prays that they may be spiritually strengthened. And he prays that he would be able to come and be a part of this gospel work. And in all of this, underlying and undergirding all of this, is Paul's obligation. He says, I have an obligation to preach the gospel. This is for all people, both civilized and uncivilized, both wise and foolish. So as we come to our text this morning, we'll see three things. We're going to see Paul's thanksgiving, Paul's prayer, and finally, Paul's longing. Paul's thanksgiving, Paul's prayer, and Paul's longing. He begins by giving thanks. He says, I off, he's offering his thanks to my God, as he says, through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very common phrase that he uses in his thanks. And most often he gives thanks to my God. It is more rare that he adds to that through Jesus Christ. But Paul is picking up on something very important here. He is thankful. He is stressing the gospel. Who is the one who brings that gospel? He's thankful to God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And this is moving him to give thanks. And he's giving thanks to God for all those Christians in Rome. This is no less about the gospel. He's thankful for all those who have been transformed by the gospel who are in Rome. He says, I give thanks to my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith. Now he's going to go on there. But the reason for giving thanks is because of their faith. Now he doesn't say uh, because your faith is great, because you have faith that moves mountains because this is an abnormal kind of faith. He gives thanks because of the basis of their faith alone. Their fact of their faith is enough for Paul to break out in thankfulness to the God who was the author of the faith of their faith. The people in Rome have begun to bow the knee to God. And this would have been widely known. It had been proclaimed throughout the world. And it's important for us to remember who Rome is. Who is Rome at this time? Capital of the known world. Oppressor of Jerusalem. They had any number of... Pagan gods, if we often most think of the Greek gods, right? Zeus and Hera and all those. But the, Roman had their, the Romans had their Roman counterparts of those. I don't remember. They were named after the planets, I think. Jupiter and Venus and so on and so forth. They had all their deities. It was a hotbed of religious idolatry. It was the symbol of the oppression of God's people. And from here... The gospel light is beginning to shine forth. The fact of their faith is a great thing. They now serve the same God that Paul serves. 
And so he gives thanks. He rejoices in their faith. What do you think if Paul came here and looked at us? Would he say about our faith? Would he be thankful for our faith? Is our own faith, it's interesting because he says, your faith, Romans, is being proclaimed in all the world. The fact that this pagan city had turned to God, or starting to turn to God, had been, is being proclaimed to the whole world. It's being talked about. It's a big deal. In a modern context, we think of it, uh, we talk a lot, or you might hear a lot about China. It's a big deal that there are tons of people in China coming to faith. Why? Because it is, for the longest time, a Christian wasteland. And when you have people coming to faith out of a place like that, people stand up and go, wow, what's going on here? This is Rome. And so we might be tempted to say, well, it's not that big of a deal for us, Daniel. We live in a place where our faith, everybody has faith, right? Everyone around us is a Christian of some sort. Go out the front door and throw a rock. You're going to hit a church. If you turn around, you'll hit ours. (laughs) Thanks. Pity laughs. He's sick. We'll throw him a bone this morning. What would Paul say about our faith? Our faith, it's not as important as when Rome came to faith, right? That's not true. Do those around us talk about us because our faith? Are we standing out in the world because of our faith? Do we live in such a way that our faith is evident that people see it and they recognize it and they say that's not how the world operates you're operating differently we must have a faith that matters does our faith matter important question and on a very real and true level the fact of our faith does matter because we are representatives of those who have been transformed by the gospel but the question is this are we allowing the fact that our faith matters be apparent to others Our faith should be proclaimed in all the world. And we should be outwardly and rightly thankful for our faith. Paul is telling us, be thankful for your faith. He has much, Paul himself, think about his life. Paul has much to be thankful for. Paul, as he calls himself, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisee, the most legalistic, pious individual in all of Israel. And that's basically what he calls himself, right? (coughs) And Jesus comes to him on that road to Damascus and he humbles him. 
he has much to be thankful for. His readers, us, we have much to be thankful for. The heart of his thankfulness, the response of his thankfulness is because of the gospel. The gospel has freed him. The gospel has saved him. And the gospel has freed you and it has saved you. Are you thankful for the gospel of grace? Do you give thanks day in and day out? Do you come and recognize his undying, unending love for you? If you do, then the proper response I believe Paul is telling us is to respond in prayer. As soon as he proclaims his thankfulness for the gospel, he says, I have, as God as my witness, I have prayed for you without ceasing. Paul has prayed for them. I was having an interesting conversation uh, with my wife. She did not know I was thinking about this, but we were talking, I believe it was either, I think it was Saturday evening. I want to say it was Saturday evening, Friday evening, one of the two, it doesn't matter. And, and we were just, the stuff with France had just happened. And all, all over the internet, we began to see the, the pray for prayers, which is a good and it was a right thing. And Luanne asked me this question. Why is it that the unbelieving world, in essence, why is it that Hollywood and others mocks our faith, calls us simple-minded and ridiculous, yet when some tragedy happens, they stand up and say, oh yeah, pray for Paris. And it got me thinking, what does that word even mean? What does it mean to pray? Have you ever tried to define that word? I looked it up. Someone has, at least not me. Merriam-Webster would define it as this. A solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. Now, I find that interesting because even if you take the first part out there, which uh, the Obviously, there's some people out in the world who are acknowledging that prayer is an expression of thanks to God, but they, then they add the or, or an object of worship. There's still the necessity that you're praying to something in which you have to have faith in. What is prayer? We live in a time of little faith but in the face of things they cannot explain, they feel the need, the necessity of prayer. Isn't that telling? That those who on the day before would look at you and go, you're an idolatry, you're not, not idolatrous, you're a bigot, a hateful individual who is touting and proclaiming this ridiculous religion that is archaic and ancient and you need to grow up. And then one day later is declaring, you need, you need to pray. Isn't that interesting? And yet it shows us something 
about the reality of the created world that we live in. That they are trying to fill a void and a gap that they can't even articulate or explain. Paul is showing us that it is right before us to come before God in prayer. And as he does it, he prays for several things. We see that he prays, prays without ceasing. He shows his concern for his readers. He petitions God for their spiritual growth. Even more than that, he says, I pray that I can come as a servant of God and minister to you in the gospel. <coughs> Service is the deepest is at the deepest core of who Paul is. Excuse me. It is the ministry that he's been called to. It's the force, the driving focus of all that he does. For Paul, the gospel is an active thing. He preaches the gospel. He prays without ceasing. He goes forth teaching about the good news of God's son. He says, you can, I I think it's interesting here because Paul does something interesting. He goes, as God is my witness, for God is my witness. And and we've all heard that kind of, we, we, I think I've heard this used more flippantly, right? God is my witness. I swear that I'm not, not telling you a lie, right? That came out way more uh, Barney Fife than I intended it to. <laughs> I think it's just my voice. Anyway, but we've heard that, right? And this is in essence what Paul is doing here. God is my witness. I, I have prayed without ceasing for you. He prays that they would grow in faith. That they would become in deeper relationship with him. And he says, I, I want to come to you so that I may assist you in this. And Paul here gives us the model for our prayer life. And the first thing we see is we are to pray without ceasing. Is this something that our life is marked by? Prayer should consume the whole of our life. It is through prayer that we come before God, that we get to come before God, that we have the privilege to come before God. The God of all creation, the God who said, hey, there's nothing here except me, and said, let there be land, land. The God who said, let there be water, water, says, come to me. You have free and open access to me. And this has been purchased and granted to you through the blood of my son. So come to me. Without ceasing, he has provided this for us and we fail to take advantage of it on a daily basis. We have a God who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. It is in prayer that we grow in our faith And we see this in Paul in several ways. He's saying, it is through my unending, never ceasing prayer that I hope and pray that God will grow your faith. We, in prayer, get to know our God more. We grow closer to him. 
prayer is something that is very hard for us. Sadly, I think it is a mark of the culture that we live in. We have many distractions, phones and TV and internet and everything else. We waste so much time. We put all these things ahead of God. And we find it hard. I just, I don't have time in my daily life to pray. What are we communicating? Remember that God I just talked about? That God of all creation who spoke everything into being. That God who loved you with such a deep and abiding love that he sent his son to die for you. What are we communicating to him when we say, I cannot fit you into my schedule today? What are we communicating to the world when we can't fit God into our schedule? Paul says, I, I thank God for your faith because it's proclaimed in all the world. And the world looks at us and they say, well, I don't really see this re- being reflected in your life. What does that say about your faith? And we grow cold and stale in our faith. We recently had a day of prayer here at the church. It was a wonderful thing. And I've, I've heard so many great things and responses about this. And people, people saying, you know, I just, I didn't think I could pray for that long. But then I got here and I could pray and I prayed and I prayed. And it was an amazing thing. I even felt some of this too as I got to come here and pray. And yet I was left my, myself asking this question. Should I be surprised when I partake of God's blessing and it works? Should I be surprised? He's saying, I am here daily. Avail yourself to me. He's saying, come before me and be blessed because of the relationship I have with you. And we go, I'm good. Thanks, though. Maybe if I get sick. We are to pray without ceasing so our faith may be strengthened. Paul wants them to grow. And so finally, thirdly and finally, we see Paul's longing. He says, I long to see you. He longs to be with them. Why does he want to come? Why does he want to come to Rome? He gives us several things. He says, I I have some spiritual gifts I want to share with you. I have a harvest that I want to do there. I want to preach the gospel. The first thing he says is, (coughs) for I long that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Uh, What is the spiritual gift that Paul's talking about here? Paul often talks about these spiritual gifts. Uh, I, I think the... Well, the Greek language here is not the same language he uses elsewhere. And so I think probably he's not talking about the spiritual gifts here, just because the language is a bit different. I think it more likely that he has some insight or ability given to him by the Spirit that he wants to share with the church, that he wants to come to the Roman Christians and share with them. And in doing that, in coming and sharing in what God has blessed him with, 
This is what the Spirit has given to them. He hopes to grow and strengthen them in their faith. And it's odd here because Paul seems to correct himself in a way. He says, uh, uh, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that, that, that is there is to say, what I mean to say is, but he's not really ex- uh, changing what he said. He's expounding on what he says. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other. That we may be mutually encouraged. He says there's a mutual gain when he comes together with Christians and they have this time together. There's a mutual uh, encouragement, a, a mutual comfort. This is accomplished through faith, both Paul's faith, faith and their faith, that they will mutually be benefited by this interaction. They both bring to the table different perspectives, different gifts. This is the purpose of the church as the church comes together and we are of mutual benefit to one another. This is why we need one another. And Paul is not grandstanding here. Uh, some might say, Paul, you're, you're the apostle Paul. What do you have to gain by these Romans and these Roman Christians? You're Paul. Paul's not grandstanding here. Paul knows <coughs> that his faith is not perfect. Yes, they may fall under his authority, but he's coming and saying, we are those who come together uh, before Jesus Christ, and we have are a benefit to one another. He goes on to say that I've longed to come to you previously, but he's been hindered. This is most likely through other works of the gospel that he's been doing, but he has not been able to get there yet. But he wants to come. He wants to bring the gospel to those who have not heard it. He longs to strengthen those who have already heard the gospel. And he, he, at the end here, he gets a little bit confusing. He says, I am under obligation, both to Greek and to barbarian, both to wise and foolish. What's going on here? Who are barbarians? During the Greek time, uh, the Greeks called anybody who spoke with a different dialect than theirs barbarians because they sounded rough, it sounded harsh. Uh, So this was most of the world. So he's saying uh, we have Greeks on one hand and barbarians on one hand, but both of these fall into what category? Gentiles. He says, I want to come and I want, I have an obligation to serve you Gentiles. But he goes on to say both the wise and to the foolish, both those who consider themselves wise through their own effort and thought and both those who don't consider them wise. He says, I'm coming for all of you that I might share the gospel with you. But I think the wonderful thing, the wonderful word we see here is the word obligation. Obligation can be somewhat of a dirty word. We don't really like the word obligation, right? When we hear that word, we might say, well, this is me anyway. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not under obligation to anybody. But Paul says, I am under 
obligation. It's a dirty word, but it's a necessary word. He's saying this is something that I cannot fail to do. I have to do it. I am under obligation to preach the gospel. Why is Paul under obligation to preach the gospel? Because Jesus Christ owns him. He has purchased him and he, Paul is now his. And his Master, his Lord, his King said, you are going to preach the gospel. I want to read with you just for a second. From the end of our last study. We, well, not last, the second to last. We, before Zechariah finished up Matthew. Before Jesus goes into heaven, he says to his disciples and apostles this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how the gospel of Matthew ends. So let me tell you something. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? If the answer to that question is yes, then I tell you, you are under obligation to preach the gospel. You are under obligation to tell others about your faith. You cannot do anything but preach and teach the good news of the gospel. No, you're not apostles. No, you're not ministers. But you have an obligation to preach and teach the gospel. There are none who claim the name of Jesus Christ that can keep from doing this. There are those out there in the world who are in desperate, desperate need of the information that we have. And Paul later in Romans, in Romans 10, 14, is going to say this. How are they to call on him in who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There are those who are in need of the gospel, and we are under obligation to tell them about it. Do we live our lives in faith with the same urgency as Paul? I love this word obligation because it's not, um, I, I have to do this, or uh, yeah, I'm going to get around to this. He is obligated. If you, um, have taken out a loan to purchase your house, you are obligated to buy that house, to pay that monthly note. What happens if you fail to pay that monthly note? Your house is confiscated. Now, all analogies are 
frail and fall apart. Uh, I'm not trying to say here that if you don't tell others about Jesus Christ that you're going to lose your faith. That's not what I'm saying. But we are obligated. We must. We are compelled. Do you feel that sense of urgency? The world around you, there's only two types of people in the world around you. Those who are bound for glory and those who are bound for hell. That is it. And there are people who need what we have. We have much. We have much to be thankful for. I am thankful for each one of you in this room. I am thankful for the church God has placed me in. I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that you're thankful as well. So let us respond in prayer. Coming before the God who has sought us and bought us. Understanding that Jesus has loved us with a deep and abiding love. Let us understand that we are obligated to bring the message of the gospel. People need it. And we must bring it. How will they know? Are we so selfish that we will not give them the words of life? We must have an urgency in our faith to bring the light of the gospel. I don't know about you guys. When I hear Paul's words, when I see his example, I must admit that the scope and the breadth and the depth of my faith is at times far too shallow. And if you're anything like me, if you get up and there's time to check Facebook and time to check sports scores and time to piddle with this and piddle with that. Time to watch the TV shows you want to watch. Time to go shopping when you want to go shopping. And yet there's no time for God. Let us hear Paul's words. Let us see his example. Let us come before our God in a spirit of thanksgiving and prayer. And let us be reminded of the gospel with which we have been loved with. And would we love others? And would we do this with a sense of urgency? Obeying our God. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Would we be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ? And would we lean on him? And would the gospel be so lovely to us? Would Jesus be so lovely to us that we will not help but come in prayer and thanksgiving 
and proclaiming the wonderful news that we have to those around us. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.